Triple H 100.1 FM. Next, we're going to have a conversation about anger management because it was touched on by a lot of the people today about the, um, you know, it, it's a big issue if you hold back, if you don't speak. So Megan Adrianson from Lifeline Harbour to Hawkesbury, it's usually the service that's called, that's the last to be called. Uh, they save so many people and we're fortunate enough to have uh, that dynamic service locally um, in Gordon. So obviously you can call the line anytime, but locally, or, uh, locally Gordon provide an early intervention program or a number of programs. I'm going to play you an interview uh, with Megan Adriason from Lifeline Harbour to Hawkesbury because she talks about the intelligence of emotion that we need to be able to understand in order to be able to see that these these that we have a whole load of behaviors that mask how we're feeling and if we can build our emotional intelligence to actually recognize what's a feeling how our body's feeling and and spot it and deal with it that way we then don't go to the coping behaviors and the coping behaviors can can go from excessive craziness in the gym and being addicted to the adrenaline that you get from that climbing mount everest uh going and sitting in a yoga position where you actually check out of the world for hours on end trying to find yourself that's that's a coping mechanism in itself and then you've got your more obvious ones like the anger management the um drugs and alcohol the um problem gambling and that's what we're going to cover in this interview with uh, with Megan Adrianson today. So without further ado... Welcome to Triple H 100.1 FM. Hello, Lucy. Thank you for having me. It is um, wonderful to have you representing Lifeline on the show again. We've covered your anger management course on this show before, but we, and we will obviously let people know when the next one is, but putting that into the context of not asking for help, which we've been speaking about, how does this course offer support around recognizing feelings and then how those feelings can tip into emotions that can then lead them to maybe some of the, the trouble that they get into? Absolutely. So one of the, the main things that we really address in the, the anger management program is really looking at what emotions are and differentiating between primary emotions and secondary emotions. So, so we, we delve into, you know, what you might notice that you are experiencing versus the, the unconscious or the, the below conscious awareness um, and what's actually happening inside um, the, the body physically. So whilst somebody may experience a feeling of disappointment, um, they, at a deeper level they may be also feeling very blocked by what gave rise to that disappointment and that, that then may switch on the body's threat system which is when the amygdala in the, in the brain gets involved and we get this chemical release of adrenaline and, and that's what really sits underneath is very strong and overwhelming reactions that, um, that are emotion reactions like, like anger. So it's a real, it's a very physical thing that you're teaching them to connect with, that actually to reconnect perhaps with their bodies again. 
Absolutely. I mean, emotions, feelings, we can't separate those from, from the physical body. It's all very much interconnected. So we do spend quite a bit of time um, relating the physical experience to things such as the, the cognitive experience, which is really the thought language that we have. Um, so if, if we're having a thought, for example, that, that we're perceiving that somebody has done something to us, or that perhaps they intended harm, that if that's our thought, it may not be a fact, but if that's our thought, that can also switch on our threat system. Um, and once again, give rise to the release of adrenaline, um, and, and then we get those overwhelming reactions. So by increasing um, someone's awareness of what's happening at a physical level, we can actually give them tools to go, well, where can I check in on myself and say, what's actually going on here? And let me just check in on that thought and see if it's a realistic one. So we try to help them really slow the process down, reflect on what's actually happening. And, and for some people, at that point, they might need to say, well, I just need to remove myself from the situation and allow myself some time to process what's happening, whereas others might be able to reflect on that within the situation and, and say, oh, well, actually, I've just had a thought that's not actually very realistic. Okay, um, I can see that, that maybe I've overreacted. Um, and, and they can then proceed and respond to the situation. So it's going to be different for everybody. It's understandable, isn't it? From what you just shared with me there, I can understand that if someone has not been aware of that process or not been able to have that conversation with themselves, it would be really easy to tip into explosion because you wouldn't actually have noticed that your elastic band of tolerance or elastic band of, of understanding within your own body of your um, stress level, would you wouldn't notice that it was really tight. You wouldn't really notice that you didn't have much give to, to yeah. say, I need to walk away. That's exactly right. I love the analogy of the elastic band, Lucy, because that, that's something we, we can be mindful of as well. If, if we're having a really stressful day already and we probably have our, our, our stress hormones up and releasing readily into the body already, so that's a, a adrenaline and the cortisol. So if they're already up and something else ha takes place um, that really switches that threat response on even mm. more, then there's not much more give in the elastic <laughs> band. And as you say, they're very physical responses. They're hormones that are there for us when we're in danger to to give us the oomph to get out of that situation and and if they're if they're used if they're already on um the perceived threat is enormous that's right that's right so it's important that we also address how how functional um this system is this physiological system that we have it keeps us safe. It keeps us alive. It, it, it really keeps us on a certain level of alert to ensure um, that we're making good decisions um, for our own safety. But, you know, when things go a little bit wrong, um, the, the explosive reactions can be, um, you know, really inappropriately expressed. So that's where we want to come in and say, well, look, um, we can actually help you understand what's going on for you and it's going to be different for everybody but get to know um, what anger is like as you experience it and get to know the tools and strategies that will work for you. 
How do you support someone to move from a need to control to a more mutually equal relationship? Um, so I guess we, we would probably facilitate them to understand where the need for control is coming from. Mm-hmm. Um, most people who have attended our group in the past have expressed um, a lot of surprise when, when we explain to them the physiological um, components of anger. Um, they, they seem to express a lot of surprise that they do have some control over it. Um, mm. It's a very powerful reaction and there is, um, there is for most people this sense that there's nowhere for them to step in and control it and change it. So, so when we teach them that there is some control, I think that that really triggers them to start re- reflecting on you know, their own desire to control situations. What is controllable? What's not controllable? And mm. how you then sit with the things that are not um, within your control. Um, perhaps for one person, they might be feeling like they should control it. So yeah. they may be critical of themselves for failing to control something that they felt they should have. Mm-hmm. And if if we're able to facilitate them just reappraising what they can and can't control, uh, sometimes that, that allows them to just to feel a little bit calmer knowing that you know, it's okay if there are some things that I can't do. Um, and, and hopefully... Um, we also um, use that as a segue into, you know, what's it, what does it mean to you to put your hand up and ask for help? Um, yeah. We know this is something that, you know, males have been shown to, to do far less than females. Um, so, you know, the group often provides some good opportunities for discussion about what that means. You have people who are in your group who from one way or another have found their way there so they know that there is an opportunity for support. What would you say to someone perhaps who's listening to this who doesn't feel comfortable or or has never contemplated asking for help that they may be able to do something about the anger that seems to come out in inappropriate ways? Yes, uh, that's that's a, a really good question and I think I can confidently say that pretty much everybody who has attended our group has um, divulged that, that it was difficult for them to ask for help and to admit that they needed help um, you know, to understand their anger responses um, and, and to say, this is something that I want to change. So they have they usually people finish the group and, and express that it's been enormously helpful um, mm-hmm. to them. So... Um, I don't think that asking for help is necessarily easy for anybody. Um, and I think that if you can recognise that that's normal, that it's difficult to put your hand up and say, I need help with this, that most people do struggle to ask for help, then I really, you know, feeling as though um, it's a normal thing to go through, that, that might help facilitate people to say, well, I'm actually one of those people. I'd like to put my hand up and ask for help. Yeah. Now, if they want to come and join one of your groups, when is your next one? So our next anger management group program will start next year. So it's due to commence on Wednesday, the 15th of March. So that one is an eight-week program. And they can actually come, uh, Lifeline offer 
one-on-one sessions if, if someone can't wait that long. There is that opportunity through your service, isn't there? There is. So if, if there was a reason that they needed to access it sooner rather than in March of next year, then we really encourage them to give us a call as well. Um, and we will try to accommodate their, their needs for uh, you know, the anger management counselling in an individual setting. Another area that is uh, difficult for someone to ask for support for is problem gambling when there is um, a downward spiral and someone realises that this is not something they're now able to control. Mm. I, was, I was aware that actually that, that bit where you feel the incredible shame that you know that something has control of you and you don't have control of it. Mm. I understand that you work with people who, ha- who are in that situation quite a lot. Can you tell us a little bit about the work you do there? Yes, definitely. I am one of a, a number of gambling help counsellors at Lifeline Harbour to Hawkesbury. So um, I'm not quite sure if people in the community are aware, but this is actually a, a free counselling um, support service available to anybody who has identified that there are issues with, um, with gambling, so a problem gambling behaviour, but it's also available to family and friends of somebody who has an identified issue with gambling. Um, and, and that's of no cost to family and friends as well. That's incredibly um, supportive. Yes. So, I mean, we're very lucky to be able to offer that service um, to the community. And um, and at the moment, um, it, it is being used um, by a lot of people. We have been very busy lately. Um, mm. But once again, I mean, what we see is that it's very difficult for people to, to make that initial call. Um, you know, it takes great courage to identify that you need the support of somebody else. Um, and you need somebody to help you understand um, how you, you got to where you, you are with your problem gambling behaviour. Because um, it is a coping mechanism, isn't it? It's, it's, an, it's an indicator that there's something, it's a distraction from what the underlying anxiety is. Yes, and many people actually report that it, it provides a you know, calming, soothing activity to help them escape from stress, anxiety, um, you know, other concerns. It's a common um, uh, report from people who access the service um, that, that gambling is the only, you know, when they're gambling, that's the only time in their lives when they feel calm and, and, and really removed from life stresses. Which is heartbreaking when you know that the consequences of the losses of the gambling impact not potentially not just their lives but their families and um, and, and very often results in losing the um, safety net around themselves as well, doesn't it? Absolutely, and and so often, of course, is the case that they come to us and um, they are feeling as though they have no control. Um, over the gambling behaviour, so the urges are, are so powerful that it becomes a compulsive um, desire to, uh, a compulsion, sorry, to engage in gambling. But they they are living out the consequences in that they are heavily in debt. They um, they have perhaps you know lied to family and friends or you know borrowed money and and um, so those difficult conversations with 
family members, with, with friends, with people who will be um, involved in the consequences of, of the gambling behaviour. Um, and that's the wonderful thing about our service is that we, we do have free financial counselling as well as the gambling help counselling. So there is um, the opportunity for them to, to talk to somebody about you know, some solutions um, to help them with uh, the debt that they may be in, mm. um, as well as uh, the counselling to help support them in addressing um, the, the addiction to gambling behaviour. Fabulous. Thank you very much for, for joining us, uh, Megan. It's been brilliant to actually hear the, the community support. You, you're working proactively. You clearly as an organisation they've noticed what the community needs and they're, they're trying to address it by providing support groups to prevent or uh, re-educate the local community. Absolutely, that's, that's what we, we aim to do and I should probably mention that our next uh, gambling support group, uh, that's in addition to the individual um, gambling help counselling that's available, there is yep. a gambling support group that will be commencing next February, on the 22nd of February, 2017. And just one more question. Do you find that there is a spike after um, the Melbourne Cup? Ah, that's a very good question. And off the top of my head, <laughs> I, I, I can't actually answer that. Um, you know, that's probably a good question for um, yeah. my manager, Jeanette. Um, yeah. um, but it would seem like it would be logical to for us to notice a spike, but um, I would yeah. have to delve into the figures to have a look at that. Yeah, I think it, I mean, I always think it's quite interesting to see if there are any patterns or cycles within um, issues and, and because, you know, well, one, I suppose it's a resourcing issue, you have more people on, but mm. um, there, there is that, that understanding of, of how much we celebrate certain things in our calendar because I understand that the majority of the um, building industry actually has a day off and makes it a long weekend. Um, uh -huh, so not yeah. just in Melbourne, which is which is extraordinary. It's nationwide, and that's that's a quite an interesting decision. If there is this issue with problem gambling, and if the spike goes up, so I'm quite interested to to see, you know, just to delve a little deeper and say, okay, are, are, are there some patterns, are there some things as a society that we could actually do to support this, as opposed to encourage this. Um, this behaviour or this um, this addiction. Yes. Yes. Well, I guess there is a very strong cultural component in that. You know, it's, it's part of being Australian, almost, isn't it? That you yeah. Have, to have have a bit of a gamble, and at yeah. the moment, I mean, there there is an increase in marketing for sports bet and online betting, and there's this marketing being targeted at younger age groups. Um, you know, we are expecting problem gambling to increase. As a result of that, um, yeah. even though poker machines are still the biggest problem, um, you know the, the marketing, the way it's being marketed so heavily at the moment is a huge concern. It's very much targeted at the younger audience. I've noticed that, and about how cool it is to place a bet, and um, mm. a lot of the the games that you get on your phone um, have. A, an online component and a, and a gamble component, a financial component, which 
can just suck you in without really realising what you're doing. Um, yes. And I think that ethically there's something not right with that. So yes. yeah. one to watch out to question for that. Mm. Yes, definitely. Well, given that we know that males um, between the age of 18 and 24 are most at risk um, and most vulnerable to the, the marketing, the heavy marketing. So this is really is an area of concern and one that, that hopefully will continue to, to put more attention on and, and more research and, and fund the research into it. Megan, lovely to have you join us. Um, I, I Thank you for taking the time out of your day, um, and I, I hope that we get to have a longer conversation about some of those bigger issues. Oh, well, thank you again for having me. It was my pleasure to, um, to chat with you about these really important issues. Thank you.